Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Well, this sermon series that we've been in for the past couple weeks is called Fight to Flourish. And we've looked at this idea of flourishing. And we've seen that it's this idea of wholeness, of completeness, of everything, of working together the way God intends, where life is cultivated and where peace is cultivated. And yet what we've seen is that when we look at the world around us, we would not describe it as flourishing. We would say that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And we have this feeling uh, on a regular basis. And that is what the Bible would describe to us in Genesis as the reason why first we have this feeling that things should be different. Why is it that we have this feeling that there should be flourishing, there should be peace. And yet why we also have the experience, uh, as we just sang, that things are broken, that things are not the way that they should be. Uh, we have looked at an image of shalom, and, and shalom is a Hebrew word that we often translate as peace. And we've seen that really it's a more full understanding of completeness and fullness in four different relationships. And so there is this shalom or this wholeness in first our relationship with God. When that relationship is right, we experience this peace, this fullness, our relationship with ourselves and our own bodies, our relationship with creation around us. Uh, the land and the animals and all other aspects of creation, as well as our relationships with other people. And so when all of these relationships are right and we're experiencing this fullness and this wholeness in all of these different aspects, that's God's design. That's his intention for life and for his creation. And that's the shalom that we find at the very beginning of our Bibles in Eden. And yet we see that sin enters the world. There's this rejection instead of receiving from God and then giving out to creation and others. We see humanity takes and keeps for themselves. And this leads to this shattering of shalom or this vandalism of shalom. And we read in Genesis 3 beginning in verse 14 that there is a curse that is experienced. So instead of life and fullness and flourishing, there is now a curse. And when you look at the curse in those verses, Genesis 3, 14 through 19, you see each of these relationships is addressed. Now, in this relationship with God, there is this brokenness. In this relationship between humanity, between the man and his wife, uh, there is now this competition and this division. Uh, creation itself, instead of simply giving fruit and giving produce and giving life out of that, now it gives thorns and it gives uh, these these briars and it's it creates a, an environment where you have to work by the sweat of your brow, right? What we know is toil and difficulty in order to kind of pull life out of the ground. Uh, and, and all of these are aspects of this brokenness. Again, at each of these relational levels, 
that are introduced into creation, into the world, and, and we know that experience. And yet what we see, again, is that this is not how it always was. And what scripture tells us right after the curse, right after describing all of these aspects of brokenness, God promises that it won't always be this way. He promises that he is going to send the seed of the woman, that there's going to be a child who is going to come, and this seed of the woman is going to be the one who puts it all back together. That he's going to undo the curse, and he's going to restore creation to this flourishing and shalom as God intended. And every book of the Bible, as you look from Genesis and Exodus on through the Hebrew Scriptures, is really asking this question, who will this Messiah be, this anointed one, this king? Who will be the child of the woman that's going to put everything back together, that's going to make everything right? Well, the clearest picture that we get in all of the Hebrew scriptures of who this will be is the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is quoted constantly throughout the New Testament when looking at its predictions of who the Messiah will be. Isaiah is this prophet, and he has been given these visions, very clear visions of of this Messiah and, and what he will be like. And so he is acknowledging in his day, he's in Israel, and he's saying that the people of God are not representing this flourishing. They're not representing the heart of God. They're, they're not experiencing what God designed them to. And so he's, he's speaking out against things as they are, and he's calling the people to something different. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Uh, first, we're going to see a call to realize what is wrong. Now, jumping back to the beginning of Isaiah 32, we see in verse 1 where this this passage began a couple weeks ago. Indeed, a king will reign righteously and rulers will rule justly. And so Isaiah is, is giving this picture of God's design, of what will come, that there is going to be once again this king. And he's going to rule righteously and around him there are going to be other rules rulers who are going to rule justly. And he paints this picture of this large rock or this shelter that those who are in need can come behind this rock, under this shelter, and find protection. And he says, this is what God's design for this political power will be. That they are, they are the shelter. That they protect and provide security for the vulnerable and those who are in need or in danger. And that's the picture of what God is going to bring. And yet, we see a contrast to this. Instead of being this security and this protection uh, for those who are in need, we see in verse 6, he leaves the hungry empty and deprives the thirsty of drink. So instead of providing, there's this depriving. Uh, In verse 7, he hatches plots to destroy the needy with lies. And so instead of giving and caring, this representation of a bad king, this false picture of power, is, is taking away from the people, the very people who he is intended to care for and protect. And so what is happening in Jerusalem, in the center of God's people, is that in place of a culture of flourishing and giving life, we see power that is creating a culture of death or taking life away. We look last week at these two ways that we see through the scriptures 
And I think it's just, this has become more and more clear to me all throughout the Bible that there is a way that's the way of the world. And this is not the way God designed things, but this is the result of sin and rebellion against God and his design. And the way of the world is the way of taking and keeping. And so we see this with Eve. Uh, we see this, this taking of the fruit instead of receiving from God. Uh, we see it with Abraham and Sarah, this taking of Hagar, Hagar instead of receiving the promise. Uh, you, if you start reading through the scriptures, you see this constant refrain of taking for yourself instead of receiving from God. And ultimately, if, if the way we receive life is with open hands, right? We have our hands open, acknowledging our need to receive from God. What happens if we close them around something in taking? Well, they're closed off to God, right? And this is death. This is life. This is the way, and this is the way of death, this way of taking. And that's what we see. This is this way of death that continues. And this is the way of the world. So when you read in your Bible of the world, that represents this kingdom that's, that's not under God's kingship. But in contrast to this, there's the way of creation. And once again, this is the way of receiving and giving. This is the way of life in every way. In Isaiah's prophecy, he's saying the fact that the way of death, the way of the world is what is present among the people of God is not okay. When God called Abraham and he began to form his people, he said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be what? A blessing, right? To who? To all people. So God's intent for his people is that they would receive blessing and receive provision from him so that they could go into the world, into all of these cultures of death and taking, and they could be a source of giving life. And yet, instead of that plan, they have become just like the world. They are taking just like the kingdom of the world. And so this is not okay. This is not what God has designed his people to be. And so this prophetic voice of Isaiah says, stand up, you complacent women. Listen to me. Pay attention to what I say, you overconfident daughters. Now he's calling out a group of women. And in in Isaiah 3, we see this beginning that there's this noble women. There's these kind of somewhat wealthy women who have some tie to power. And he's addressing them. He's acknowledged the men are corrupt. And those who are in these positions of power, they're using injustice. And yet now, again, he's looking at the women. And he's saying, you are in this place of complacency and overconfidence. Now, what is complacency? What do you think? Laziness? Okay, yeah, that's similar. So there's this idea of kind of self-righteousness, of smugness. Everything's okay. And... What I believe is taking place here is there's this view of the fact that we're the city of God. We're the people of God. You know, God's going to bless us. Things are going to be fine. And yet, they have rejected the way of God. And so, they have this sense of security that just because they're comfortable, everything's okay with them, it's okay. But all the people are not experiencing this flourishing. There are people who are experiencing the injustice and, and things are not the way God designed them to be. And so he's saying, you're complacent. You think everything's okay because you're okay. But that's not okay, right? That's not reflecting the heart of God. Verse 11, shudder, you complacent ones. Tremble, you overconfident ones. Strip yourselves bare and put sackcloth around your waist. Now, this is kind of extreme language. 
What is it that's going on? Well, sackcloth in the Old Testament was made out of goat hair. And it is very coarse. Uh, some of you men have, have some beards in here, right? Anybody have a beard that's like really coarse and, you know, really kind of not comfortable, <laughs> right? There's this, this goat hair that they would make these clothing out of. And they would wear this clothing. It was sackcloth is what it was called. And the reason they would wear it is because it was itchy. So if you think about cashmere, this is the opposite of that, right? You think about, you know, the comfortable clothing that we have. This is the most uncomfortable clothing. And the reason why you would wear this clothing is so you could experience discomfort. Think about that. Have you ever picked something out where you're like, I want to be as uncomfortable as I possibly can. So I'm going to wear this. Well, that's what would happen. Now, this was used for a purpose and it was uh, an expression of mourning, right? Often they would wear this sackcloth, this really uncomfortable goat hair clothing, and they would put ashes on themselves and they would fast. And this was to, to cause them to be uncomfortable, to express mourning. We see Daniel chapter nine, verse three, when Daniel kind of similar to Isaiah's time, he's looking around and the people have rejected God, their sin and unrighteousness. And so we read Daniel in Daniel nine, three. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. He's saying God's heart is not being represented among the people. And I am going to use means to make my body as uncomfortable to experience misery in some ways because that will allow me to experience emotion in my body that represents God. And this is a common theme throughout scripture. It's very uncommon in our day in the church and yet we see these examples of lament. There's a whole book of lamentations. A significant amount of the Psalms are Psalms of lament and what God is calling his people to do and often through fasting or putting yourself in a place that's uncomfortable is to experience within your body that things are not okay. And so there's this call even to weep with those who weep among the church. And what he's saying is when you have brothers and sisters who are weeping, who are suffering, who are struggling, we prayed with some of our church members between the services going through an incredibly difficult time with their daughter. And, and there's this call for us to put ourselves in a, in a posture of joining them in that, right? Of, of weeping and seeing that things are not the way they should be. And, and there are these physical means that help us. And this is, this is typically when we're uncomfortable, what do we do? We eat ice cream and watch, you know, Hallmark movies or something like we try to drown it out. We try to suppress these uncomfortable feelings. And we, and if, when people come into our orbit that bring uncomfortable feelings, we like want to get away as quickly as we can. And yet that's the opposite because God's called his people to actually utilize clothing and fasting to put ourselves in this posture. And think about this, it, this posture of lament and, and, you know, this expression of that, it anchors us in the reality that things are not the way they should be. Things as they are right now, when we see the brokenness and we see this culture of death and all the ways in which this is manifested, this is not the way it should be. And it's not the way that it always will be. And so we're expressing that in these different ways and, and groaning and crying and, and, and expressing again the pain that, that this is not okay. And so to these complacent women who are okay because they're comfortable, he's saying, no, get off the couch, right? Put on the sackcloth, get uncomfortable, experience the reality that this is not how God 
has designed his creation. And it's not how his people should be living. Secondly, the call to realign with what is right. The call to realign with what is right. So verse eight, we saw, but a noble person plans noble things. He stands for noble causes. So among the people who have rejected life, they've rejected the way of God and his call for righteousness and justice to acknowledge the dignity of people as created in his image, right? As creation, which is underneath a creator and everything that's, that's anchored in that way. Amongst the culture, he's telling these women, even if the people around you and the people over you are not experiencing this, you are to stand for noble causes, right? Things that represent the heart of God, no matter if the people around you have completely rejected that. You are to be those who represent the heart of God. Why? Well, we're going to see that they are to be those who are preparing for this coming king. This king of righteousness. And all of these calls are calls to, to prepare the way. And I'm thankful for Karen Sweet in our conversation between the services. That, that we're cultivating at some level the ground for the king of righteousness who is going to come. That there is this, this preparation that, that there is going to be a king of righteousness. There's going to be a different way of leading an expression of power that is to come. And, and so before that time, things are not going to get easy. And that's what Isaiah says. There, there is a way that if you reject the way of life, there's not multiple ways of life. There's the way of God, which is the way of life. And then there are all kinds of ways of death. And that's how it works. And he says, even the ground is going to bring these thorns and these thistles that, that the, the houses of the joyful right now are going to be empty. All of these elements, because when you reject the way of life, you have no choice but experiencing death. It's just like me yesterday. Uh, I had Mexican food for lunch. And then I came last night and we had our shepherd team meal, which was Mexican food as well. And when you choose to have Mexican food and queso two times in one day, how's that going to go? It was not shalom, <laughs> right? My relationship with my body was not whole. It was, things were broken. And that's how it is, right? I should not be surprised. This is not some, you know, unknown thing. This is how the world operates. And, and this is what we see when you reject, Isaiah is saying, when you reject God's way of life, you're going to experience death. The things at every level, right, at all four layers are going to be broken and there's going to be destruction and death. And that happens, Right, basically for the rest of Israel, there's a little bit of an uptick with Hezekiah, but but for the most part, things are bad, and and this unfolding of destruction and death continues. But there is a prophecy that Isaiah gives in verse 15 until so things are going to change. The spirit from on high is poured out on us. Then the desert will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest. Then justice will inhabit the wilderness and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. And so in all of these ways where they're experiencing death now, the spirit from where? From on high, right? God's spirit is going to come down and breathe life and bring life and flourishing out of what is now death and desert and destruction. And this is what God is going to come. And he ties this once again 
to the coming of the king of righteousness. That this is going to accompany this coming of the king of righteousness. In the next chapter in Isaiah 33, he's going to give us a little more clarity on who this is going to be. Isaiah 33, 22, we read, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. So who is this king that we've been seeing a clearer and clearer picture of? Who does ultimately Isaiah say that this king is going to be? The Lord. Not only is it the Messiah, but it's the Lord. And this is fully going to be recognized when Jesus comes. The one who is both the Lord God and the Messiah of Israel. The seed of Abraham. He is the one and he's going to come. And he, unlike any other king throughout Israel's history, he's going to represent the righteousness of God. He's going to establish the flourishing and the justice of God throughout his life. And yet he moves among people who are, who are taking, right? He moves, he moves among a kingdom of death and taking and keeping. And what is he constantly doing? He's giving. He's receiving from the Father and he's giving. And yet in this culture of death, the one who is life is rejected. And he is placed upon a cross. And for the first time, God takes. We see Jesus taking. What does he take? What does he wear on his head? Thorns, the sign of the curse. What is he nailed to? A cross, which is the place of cursing, a tree of bearing the curse. He's, he's taking all of this into himself. And then death overcomes him. This power of darkness and death and destruction, this kingdom that has been moving forward from Genesis 3 overcomes him and he dies. And yet what we see is that is not the end. Because he is the righteous king, Death has no right to hold him. And so he is vindicated. He is raised up as the one who is the righteous king of God, who has come to establish justice and life and flourishing on earth. And this is what Peter, when he's going nuts in Acts and preaching to everybody, this king, you know, this Jesus who you just crucified, he, he says in Acts 2.32, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, what does Isaiah say is going to be poured out? The Spirit from on high. Receive the Holy Spirit. He has poured out both what you see and hear. And this is in Pentecost as the church is gathered together in this upper room and the Spirit of God is poured out. And then in verse 38, a few verses later, Peter replied, repent. So they go, what do we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. We got to witness that this morning with the Owens. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening here is there is a two-phase fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. The first phase, when Jesus, the righteous king, comes, and he dies, and he is raised from the dead, conquering the power of death itself, he pours his spirit out on those who, who are united with him, those who trust in him, who, who follow him as king. And the spirit comes and makes a new creation people. When we go into the waters of baptism, the idea is when we go under the water, that old creation dies, that old person. And when we come out of the water, it's a new creation, right? We are a new creation in Christ, united with Jesus, as well as all of the people, all of the other people who are united with Jesus. And this is what the Spirit does. It creates a new creation among people. 
But that's one aspect of these four. This relationship between God and humanity is reconciled and restored. But there's still this greater fulfillment that is to come. When all aspects of creation are completely reconciled and renewed and restored. And this is what Isaiah in, in, towards the end of the book in Isaiah 65, 17, we read this, that God says, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not remember or come to mind. There's this new heavens and new earth. Again, the, the creation itself, not just humanity, but creation itself being restored and redeemed. And this is what John writes about that is to come. Revelation 21 verses one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven And the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So we've seen in Isaiah, the old Jerusalem and all the corruption. He sees this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. This is what is going to happen when Jesus returns. When the righteous king comes back to establish this union between heaven and earth, right? And all of these things that are part of taking, all the things that take life from us, grief and death and sickness and all of these things that we experience as expressions of the curse now, the things that, that cause us grief, that cause us anguish, that cause us all of this suffering. All of that is removed and there is this perfection, right? That's established, this shalom, this flourishing at every level. When God is, is here on earth, reigning and ruling with his people. And this is what we're preparing for. So, so here in this in-between time, theologians talk about that it's the, the, the already and the not yet. There's a way in which we are the new creation people now. And yet we live amongst the old creation of death. And so the values and the purposes are going to differ, right? This is, this is how it's going to be. And yet we are to represent the coming kingdom that will be established in full now. We are these outposts of the kingdom of God among the kingdom of this world. And our calling, once again, if you think about farming or the land, you're, you're cultivating the land and you're preparing the land But aside from, and and think about this outside of the technology we have, you can, you can plant and we can prepare, but what has to happen for that seed to grow? Water, right? In an ancient world, it has to rain. The water has to come. You can't do that. And this is where we are. So we are to orient and align ourselves with the coming kingdom of God, the kingdom of life, when all of this will be established and, and we live in that kingdom. But we do it now knowing it will never be established full, fully by the work of our hands, right? We, we, we're simply preparing and pointing towards what will fully happen when Christ returns. And so in the midst of this, we are to be no, a noble person who stands for what? Noble causes, right? Causes that represent the heart of God. And this is, so today, one aspect of this is, is today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. 
And so when we focus on this, this call that God is life and his way is the way of life and he's called his people to stand for noble causes that represent this life and this flourishing for all, all who are created in the image of God have dignity and value. And so we stand for that. And one of the ways that we do this, so my wife Jill uh, is here and she'll be at the back uh, at the end of the service, but she serves on the board at the Pregnancy Care Center in town. And there's one already in Old Hickory, but we're getting a new location in Nashville. And this is the way we stand for, for the noble cause of life. Uh, they First of all, they care for these moms and, and these dads and, and the folks who are in this season of questioning, am I going to keep this child and all of the realities that are part of that. And so they're caring and they're counseling and providing medical care and caring for the flourishing in the life of, of the mom and, again, of this, this dad, but ultimately seeking to bring about the life of the baby, right? To see the, the causes and the purposes of God of bringing about this new image bearer, this new life coming into fruition. So this is a way that we can, we can stand for the noble cause of life, right? Right here where we are, work towards this. But there's all kinds of, so that's one way. There's all kinds of, of organizations we can partner with. And, and we see this, folks we know here in our church who do, Foster care and adoption. Uh, these are ways in which we're standing for the noble cause of life. We're saying we are going to be those in a culture of taking, taking, we're going to be those who give, right? Who generously give out of what God has given us to establish this flourishing and life for these image bearers who, who God has put in front of us. And so there, and, and care for the elderly. Some of you guys, I, 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 my mom, was just with a, a friend who was dying, hospice care, those who are caring for the elderly. There's all kinds of ways that we can represent God's design for flourishing and life at all level and, and represent his perspective on the dignity of all people that leads us to, to provide flourishing in as many ways as we can. But are we ever going to do it fully and completely here and now? Are our hands ever going to establish the kingdom of God and the kingdom of life as long as there's a kingdom of death? No, we are waiting on the righteous king, the one who will come and will bring the reign in full and will fully reconcile heaven and earth and establish his kingdom now and forevermore. And so what we do, again, we're previews of this. We're pointing to this. But this is the story that orients us. This is the story of the gospel that, that we have our minds and our hearts aligned around. It's the story of creation where God gives and we simply receive. And yet creation moves to fall where we take and we break this world. But then it moves to redemption where God continues to give. He gives his son. And once again, the only time God takes is he takes our sin and he bears our curse and our brokenness on the cross. And in return for that, we receive reconciliation and resurrection, this new life in Christ. But then ultimately we're awaiting this restoration, this new creation of all things where God will give the spirit from on high, the king of kings will return and we will simply receive this new creation from him. And that's the story. That's what orients us. That's where everything is heading, right? And so in the midst of a culture, we have a lot that we could be frustrated about. We have a lot that could cause us uh, to to think this is how things are always going to be. And yet we have the hope that they won't always be this way. And so we're, we're people, again, in this time, who do lament, 
who do grieve, when we, when we see the brokenness around us and, and those here among our church family who are suffering in all different ways, experiencing life taken, we weep, we grieve, there's anguish. This is not the way that things should be. And yet we have hope because we know that it's not the way that things always will be. I'm going to invite us just to respond. And so I invite our band to come up and let you know if there's anything that you need prayer for, anything going on, or you need to talk about, our prayer room is going to be open as we respond. But we're going to respond by once more going back to the song, uh, Easy Worthy by Andrew Peterson that we sang, because I think that song captures the spirit of what Isaiah is getting at, and it captures the spirit of, of what I've tried to get at this morning, of, of we do have this feeling. We know the world is broken. And what that tells us, the fact that we acknowledge that is, is a, a picture of the fact that we have a creator who designed us for something different. <laughs> and so we feel the brokenness. We feel the weight. We feel the pain. And yet we know that it won't always be this way. That the darkness won't keep the light from getting through. And we know that the only one who is able to open the seals, the one who is able to make all things new is Jesus, the, one, the lamb who is worthy of the worship of all people. Father, we thank you that you have not left us in this hopeless condition of the brokenness of the world, of what our hands can create on our own. But while we take and keep, you have given over and over by your grace and you gave your son to die for our sins. But then he rose from dead to give us hope of new life. And thank you for the hope that he will return to make all things new. And so we pray that in this season before, as we await the rains coming, we await the fullness of of life when Jesus returns, will we be those who cultivate the ground towards your kingdom? Will we be those who take steps to to create life and to, to, to protect the flourishing of those who are made in your image, all for the glory of Jesus, the one who is the perfect representation of your image. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.